Good morning, Sarah Hefla. Good morning, Nancy Rommelman. So I have a question. Hey, what? Go. Yeah. Go. Well, I was going to say, did you know that it has been uh, flooding in Dallas? I did not know that, but I did see um, something this morning that one person had died in flooding in, in, I think it was in Texas, maybe not. We've had some crazy storms and, uh, you know, this started about three days ago and there was just like torrential rain. And the thing is, is like we, it has been so freaking dry and so freaking hot. I was so excited. Like, Mm. uh, like literally the day it came in, I like, I sat by my, I opened my window and just stood there with the cool air blowing and the water kind of splattering over my face, like some woman in a in a, I don't know, movie or tampon ad, who knows? But anyway, uh, (laughs) I was so excited by the rain, but here's what I learned, which is that drought makes it like the worst conditions for heavy rain. Yep. And so downtown, which is about 10 minutes away from me, there were these floods and, uh, it was, it was pretty crazy. Yeah. When it's, when it's super dry, you, the, 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 the water just falls on the dust and it's so hard pack that it can't, it can't soak in. Um, there's also been floods in, in Europe. I was with someone the other day and he had just been in Paris and I, he's like, yeah, I was like, there was a flood in Paris. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, let me show you on my phone. It was just like people walking in like, you know, not knee deep, but almost knee deep water Mm -hmm. just in the city. So I have to say I, uh, summer seemed very long, which is nice. New York city has been really really gross. I'm upstate again, which is nice. But I mean, the grime, the level of grime and filth with the combined heat and humidity in New York, we've become very boring now. We're just going to talk about the weather. This is gonna I be- know. We did, we'd start with the weather. That is like the, the opposite of what you're supposed to do in conversation. <laughs> it's nice. But you know what? The weather is sort of like overwhelming lately. It is. And it kind of leads me into, well, two things. Number one, we could we could open with the fact that I sent you a picture of myself in my bra this morning. That would be, that would be a little more unusual, right? I know. I thought we yeah. were going to keep that between ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Well, just don't let it leave your phone. Um, <laughs> there was, a, there was a reason and Sarah will tell you later what the reason is maybe, but, um, but um, it did lead me into something I wanted to mention, which was we started something new today. We're taping this on a Wednesday, the 24th of August. And uh, we started a new Wednesday open thread. And we'll have uh, kind of hopefully interesting, fun, provocative, or maybe current questions. But one of the questions I want to ask, and I don't know if it would be interesting to other people, but like, what is the most dramatic weather season where you live? You know, because uh, right. in, in the Northeast, it's hurricanes, Right. That's what you're going to get. And then in um, in L.A., it's, you know, when the fires run through, which I guess is kind of the same season, sort of like September, October, you just constantly see people having to run out of their, you know, abandon their homes and their homes burning. I actually know people that, well, I don't, their home didn't burn, but like every single house around them burnt. Theirs was the one house that did not burn. And it was like two years before they could get the smoke smell out. I did read a link um, that a lot of the cliffs uh, around Los Angeles, north of Los Angeles are just eroding and eroding and will eventually, eventually be reclaimed by the sea, which is not good for people that 
that live there. Um, you know, the Malibu right. area. Here, here in Dallas, that. it's it's normally the tornadoes. When uh, when do they come? In summer, right? Summer. Uh, you would think a very smart woman that had lived here most of her <laughs> life would have the answer to that. I, but yeah, I think there's summer and fall. I'm, I'm, I'm such an idiot. They are really so protected from the elements. It's just, it's stunning. And one of the reasons that I like, I've talked a little bit about liking, um, you know, kind of like old, you know, 19th century stories of America or, or traveling West and stuff. And one of the things I like is that they have to, they're so unprotected from the elements. And you get this sense of like, where did we get this idea that nature was kind? Like, like it is, there is so much cruelty to, to nature, right? Right. Or that you can control it. I actually, and of course I've never, I've never had my life taken in a storm. I love storms. I love extreme weather. Uh, I will say uh, tornadoes are not something we see though. Occasionally you will see them pass through the Northeast. I was in Oklahoma years ago and my daughter was a baby and we were sitting outside just like having, you know, sweet tea, visiting, sitting in the lawn chairs. And I look over and I can see one on the horizon. And I almost, I jumped out of my seat and everyone's like, yeah, whatever. It's like they see them all the time in summer in Oklahoma. You just kind of see them passing in the distance. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. They've normally never been that bad in Dallas, which is probably why I'm so buffeted from their season. And I do think they're, they're summer. Um, but uh, my friend, uh, like a couple, like a few years ago, there was a really devastating tornado that came through here. And, and my friend, much like me, was like, oh, it's no big deal. Like, it's just another tornado warning. We get those all the time. And any, anyway, she was sitting in her kitchen and then there was this like, huge ripping noise and it was uh it was her roof coming off the house oh there's that um what's the worst what's the worst weather situation you've ever been in or the most extreme the most extreme you know what i what i can tell you is that like the first time i took a a road trip by myself which was a pretty massive road trip i was about 27 years old and it was like five months long and and I was driving in Arizona one night. First of all, I hate driving at night because I, I, I just, I try yeah. to avoid it when you're doing those long hauls. Um, and I, and I had been, I was sort of like starting to fall asleep and there was this insane lightning storm, like nothing I had ever seen before. Uh, this was heading into Flagstaff, I believe Flagstaff, Arizona. Um, so it was across the desert and it was just like, they're just shaking the car. And I mean, I, I, I don't think I ever pulled over, but I just, I remember driving into that scared the heck out of me. We, um, when we went to Matt Welsh and I went to, um, the, uh, base ML major league baseball hall of fame induction in Cooperstown last month. And coming back, we ran into a storm where there were literally trees falling down to the left and the right of us. Mm. And it, it wasn't even that long, but it was pretty, pretty crazy, including as we were getting closer to home, um, just like absolute crazy lightning, like horizontally across the sky. I've been yeah. in, um, I was in LA during the Northridge earthquake. Uh, my daughter was a baby at the time. I'm uh, not a baby. She's a toddler. That was, that was pretty extreme. But I would say the most extreme situation I think I've been in, it wasn't really weather, but kind of it was the, um, the, uh, the riots and the LA riots in 1992 after the uh, Rodney King mm. verdict when uh, I, the whole city was on fire. It was just, and it was, it was, 
it was very extreme for like two and a half days. You just, I remember one time standing outside of my house holding my daughter who was two years old at the time and just hearing, there are 962 fires burning right now in Los Angeles. And they were two blocks away down on uh, Hollywood Boulevard. People were like, I watched the two blocks from my house, people driving their pickup trucks at full speed, trying to bust through the security grating in front of the pawn shop. It was just kind of, it was, it was an interesting situation because when you're, you know, everybody's out on the street, you all, you all band together, neighbors kind of band together. What do you have? What do you need? It's, and it's something you don't forget. You know, you just, it, it gets um, imprinted on you. Uh, Sort of, Kind of tangentially communal experience. I had something funny. We're on, we, we record on Zencaster and um, I had never noticed it before. They kind of changed the interface. They upgraded something and it mm. said um, health check. Uh, we passed the health check, which I thought was something had something to do with the pandemic. But maybe it's maybe it's like Internet lingo for like you're ready to record. I no, it's just it's doing a, a check on your on your systems, on your. Yeah. On your- yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it let's it cough Laptop. into this uh, cough into this hanky. Um, but I did there was an interesting piece today. We'll put a link to it. Um, now that um Fauci is retiring, and obviously he's been incredibly controversial. He's also been a lightning mm-hmm. rod, and people have also used him as a beanbag for whatever their agenda is. But I do think that, you know, some mistakes were made, some of them understandable at the beginning. Yeah. We didn't know things, but then once we did, um, but um there's a good piece on um on Barry Weiss's site today, kind of talking about like what he could have done better. It's not, it's not hair on fire. I don't know if I agree with all of it, but um, it's worth reading. We'll put a link to that. And um, one, just one more bit of housekeeping. Um, so Sarah and I were talking yesterday, you know, she and I publish a lot of stuff uh, and different sites and different magazines. And sometimes we'll tell you guys about it. And sometimes we'll put links to it. Sometimes we don't, but we very, very rarely pasted in our articles here because we don't want to become redundant. Like if you read it over someplace else. Um, so maybe if you guys are interested, we do want to get some more writing here on, um, on smoke them if you got them. So um, if for some reason you're hankering for something more than a link, let us know because she and I have both published, I think four or five pieces in the past week. Uh, and that's, uh, material you might want to know about. So um, you can let us know uh, in the uh, in the comments. So I think that's our our, uh, our housekeeping for the morning. Besides, you should go and subscribe and tell your friends. And Sarah, what should you tell us right now? This podcast is called Smoke 'em If You Got 'em. That's right. Thank you. I'm glad we got that done. Um, so you know, one thing that we shockingly are interested in and kind of perennially uh, is beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, beauty as commodity, beauty, beauty, beauty as um, weapon, uh, beauty as something you people long for. Um, I told, I've told the story before about how Dustin Hoffman and Tootsie, they made him up in drag and he saw himself and he said to the makeup artist, Oh, cool. Great. Now make me pretty. And they're like, yeah, that's not how that works. So you sent me an interesting piece yesterday, which is, um, Mm -hmm. I think really fascinating on a lot of levels. Do you want to, do you want to tee us up? Sure. Sure. I'll talk a little bit about it. So this is um, a story that's about the fact that British Vogue has the 90s supermodel Linda Evangelista on the cover. Um, If you don't remember Linda Evangelista, you're probably a dude. 
Um, hold on just a second. <laughs> Did you, I just got a, I just got a lost connection. Yeah, but we're still recording, so I'm going to ignore okay. it. Hey, we're reconnected. Hey, Sarah's Hi, reconnected. Yeah. Hey, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> awkward. Um, so, you know, Linda Evangelista was this, you know, uh, sort of Uber model in the 90s and and helped to solidify that whole idea of, of you know, I think one of her quotes, she was the one that said, like, we don't wake up um, for less, for less than $10,000 a day, yep. Yep. you know, and she, you know, she's a, she's a strikingly beautiful woman. Not surprisingly, she has these kind of like feline eyes that are really sensational. And she always had, she was cool. Cause she had this like short hair that was always different colors and she was really cool looking. Okay. Well, uh, last, I think it was in 2021, she came out and let people know that she had had a cool sculpting procedure that went awry and cool sculpting is like an, uh, it was like a non-invasive procedure that is supposed to like shrink your fat cells. Um, but what happened to her is that, you know, she got, she got three months of treatment and she got it on her, um, thighs and upper torso and then, uh, chin. And what happened was that she got diagnosed with something called paradoxical adipose hyperplasia, which is this rare post-procedure complication where instead of shrinking the fat cells, they get bigger and, and harden. They harden yeah. And they get sort of turn into lumps. And so, you know, this was... As you can imagine, for someone who has made their living on their body and beauty and was trying to sort of get themselves back into a certain condition, this was incredibly destabilizing. Um, she describes this as having been brutally disfigured. Um, and, you know, she tries to get liposuction. I mean, she in this story uh, that's written by a writer named Sarah Harris, the, the story that's in British Vogue, she kind of goes through all the things that she did to unwind this. Um, she talks about, you know, getting liposuction. She says, I have incisions all over my body. I've had stitches. I've worn compression garments under my chin. I've had my body tightly girdled for eight weeks. I was so embarrassed. I just spent all this money and all I could think of fixing it was zero calories. So I just drank water or sometimes I would have a stick of celery or an apple and I was losing my mind. And she says she can't look in the mirror, nor can she bear for anyone to touch her body. So this is a very, whoo, this is a very intense reaction. Um, but you know, she did come out on Instagram and talk about it, which I think is a, is a good thing to do. Um, but you know, they end up wanting, you know, they put her on the cover of Vogue and they have her talking about this kind of procedure gone awry. But then, you know, because, because fashion magazines also have to kind of speak to this idea of body acceptance and self-love and, you know, the, the, the phrase that they have on the cover of the magazine is I'm trying to love myself as I am. And the sort of 
bizarre juxtaposition of that is that the photos in the magazine um, are all meant to, you know, sort of obscure these perceived flaws that she has. And, um, you know, so, so she, she, and she talks about this in the article, you know, uh, she talks about having like the, like the elastic and tape that's used to kind of pull her face back and then, you know, scarves that are used around her to, to hide this chin and the photos, you know, are beautiful. Look, she's 57 years old. I, I don't know how much they engaged in, in terms of, you know, post-production stuff, but she looks amazing. And, you know, this got a lot of, a lot of attention and a lot of praise because, because it is brave for somebody to talk about this. And then it got a certain amount of criticism um, because there is, there are two things being done here, right? So there is, a message of acceptance and then a vision um, of fantasy. And so the story that I sent you was by Vanessa Friedman, who writes for the New York Times. She's a, I really like her. I have to say, by the way, I am fascinated with the subject of beauty, but I really do not follow fashion. Do you? No, I don't. I don't. Yeah. No. Uh, not really. I mean, I've rarely read Vogue magazine. I read, you know, a, a Vogue and really more, you know, the time when I read these magazines was when I was like a, even a young teenager, like, you know, Glamour and Seventeen when I was 12 and 13 and 14. I actually just found a big stash of them my mother has from the late 70s sitting up in her attic, you know, with Christy Brinkley on the cover. Um, no, I don't, I don't, I don't really at all. I used to, when I used to, this is more than 20 years ago. I went, I would buy the Sunday Times every week. The Sunday Times in the magazine for a long time had a really interesting fashion thing. It was always super interesting and not just like what was current. It was like quirky and beautifully shot. And then sometime in the maybe early 2000s, I noticed that nearly every piece of clothing they had in there was five figures. And I was like, I know. know that would that became uninteresting to me because it became it became just sort of like mono minded. It's like, why don't you show like some other, you know, cool seventy eight dollar pair of boots? So, no, I don't I don't follow fashion. Um, I, I usually buy my stuff online or let my daughter buy my clothes for me. So, yeah, I'm not um, I'm not. But I do know if I may just interject something about um, Evangelista. So she was apparently made famous by Stephen Mizell. He's a big fashion photographer. Yeah. I know his name. I would probably even know his look if you showed me some stuff. And he's the one that photographed her for this. I have not seen right. the issue itself. I've only seen the cover. She looks incredible. She looks like Linda Evangelista. If you did not know any of this stuff happened, you you would not know it. And she also, I mean, there's definitely, you know, airbrushing involved. I mean, she's got nothing. She looks, she could be five months old in terms of the lines on her face. And that's fine because this is, this is fashion, right? Um, I will say, so I went around and started looking at some pictures of Evangelista, like after what had happened. Mm -hmm. She does not look like a disfigured person. What she looks mm -hmm. like is an average person. Now, 
I'm not saying that to her, she doesn't look somewhat monstrous. I'm sure she does because comparatively, she's also quite, she's quite a bit heavier than she was when she was a model. Um, mm. I, I don't know exactly, maybe, I don't know, 40 pounds. I have no idea how much of that is due to the sculpting or whether she had gained some weight beforehand and then that's why she wanted the sculpting. Who knows? It doesn't really matter. I will say if you saw this person, pictures of Linda Evangelista walking through like Marshalls, she wouldn't stop traffic. She just looks like, you know, average you or me person in baggy black clothing. Um, to her, she's this 57 is, years old. And that's fine. I mean, you know, like, like, the, like, the, yeah. yeah. She's not going to be a gazelle anymore, of course. Um, I, what I was really struck by of what she was saying in the, in the Times article that you're citing is that she had an opportunity to be who she was, not just, you know, 20 years ago or whatever, because the fact of the matter is she could still be modeling because there are plenty of models that are her age still, like a Christy Turlington or um, there's another that's still like, you still see them doing ads. I, I don't mean like as much as they did, but they're still desired. They're still these, right. they're, 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 they're iconic at this point. And someone is happy to see a Christy Turlington in an ad for Philippe Petit watches or something, right? I think that's the name of a fancy watch company. Um, and I'm sure she could still be doing that too. She can't, she feels she can't do that anymore. She has a $50 million lawsuit against, or she did against- Which was, she, she, yeah. She so she eventually sues this cool sculpting um, company for $50 million. It has since been settled. We don't know that. So I was very moved by, she said, look, I, I, I get that these pictures do not look like me, but you know what? I have an opportunity right now to be- what I was. And I've gone through a lot of really hard stuff and I'm going to take this opportunity. And I absolutely would give it to her. I mean, haven't you ever had the fantasy, like if somebody would take me or you and, um, and like have Steven Mizell take our picture and like do us up how nice we'd look, we'd look, we'd look pretty damn nice probably. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, look, I think, so. Th you know, I'm, I'm going to speak out of both sides of my mouth, which is that, you know, I really do want to see women a little bit more realistically. Uh, you know, I don't want to see them, uh, photoshopped and, and airbrushed into a kind of automaton look, which I think is something that has happened. Um, at the same time, if I'm on the cover of Vogue, get, get your airbrushes out. Like, come on. I mean, we already do that when we, um, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm doing this. I have to unhook something. So Sarah can see, which you guys can't, that I'm walking around the, the house right now trying to unhook something that I'll have to do. Um, so we all do this. I mean, the, the, we're going to get to the Jezebel article and I'm, gee, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sorry, which I didn't actually, which wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Um, but the Jezebel article was talking about how, this particular author or maybe the publication in general, because we know Je Jezebel can be like is super cranky at all times about everything, pretty much. Um, she's like, well, you know, is it really okay, you know, when we should have different standards of beauty that Linda Evangelista should be able to like make herself look all nice? But I mean, we shouldn't we be celebrating different looks? I mean, you're going to get the exact quote. I'm um, per usual. I'm exaggerating here. But then... But then someone in the comments very uh, kind of, I thought, nicely pointed out, what does your Instagram feed look like, lady? 
and every picture looks lovely and 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 she's polished and this is the author of the Jezebel piece it's like you want people you want to hold people to some kind of standard that you think is going to be fair to the rest of the world because we're all not young we're all not beautiful we're all not you know tall or whatever so that we have to celebrate that we have to celebrate that difference oh but personally i'm going to make sure i look tall and beautiful and young in every picture Right, right, right. So this was a story that was called British Vogue Did Wrong by Linda Evangelista. Um, she says, well, I'm deeply saddened for Evangelista. I'm more enraged with British Vogue, who bungled an opportunity to depict reality and instead opted for fantasy yet again. It would have been infinitely more powerful to present her as she is, a living embodiment of all that women and femmes put themselves through to attain a cruel, expensive, outdated beauty ideal. Okay, well, good for you, except for the fact that Linda Evangelista <laughs> didn't want to be on the cover of Vogue doing this. I mean, you know, she doesn't, you know, I, I, she she literally says, like, in in the article itself, like, we're creating dreams. I think it's right. allowed. All right. my insecurities are taken care of in this picture, so I got to do what I love to do. And I think that we're in a situation where where women's magazines used to sell a fantasy of perfection. And now they need to sell a fantasy of authenticity and self-acceptance at the same time that they make themselves appealing to people that are drawn to beauty. It's kind of tiresome, isn't it, Sarah? I mean, we, we, had, a, we had a little bit of this conversation yesterday and you, I think you made a good point, but it's also one that I think... I think is an interesting point. You said to me, well, Nancy, why is it that, you know, a female ideal of beauty for Rembrandt was one thing and then a female, you know, then we've got Kate I think Moss. I said Renoir. Renoir, who was oh. known for those, you know, kind of yeah. voluptuous. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Renoir, Ren something. Yeah, I don't know. But- I don't know about Rembrandt and women, <laughs> I, I gotta say. <laughs> You're right. I just I know that Renoir was really into the voluptuous like women. The and the, I seriously like the first time, you know, I've always struggled with my weight. And the first time I went to go see a Renoir exhibit, I was like, duh, wrong era, Heppola. Yeah. Uh I remember uh reading years ago, you know, in uh like British nobility. And for a long time, they would like powder their face. Everybody was white, 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 white. And that was like considered beautiful. Well, you know why that was? That at least that I read and someone please correct me, was not just style. It was that that showed that they didn't have to be working outside. Right? Absolutely. It was a flex. It's a fashion flex. Right, right. You know, the paleness, the thin, um, the the, the fatness was like, look, that's like a rich brag. That's That's like basically wearing Louis Vuitton. Right. You know? Um, but I just wonder, and I, okay, sure. There is not one standard of beauty that we're all going to agree on. Of course not. And nor should we, that would be horribly boring. But I do wonder, like I sent you this morning because we were talking about bras. I sent you a picture of, in this particular catalog, uh, which is called Understance, a picture of a woman that they have modeling one particular bra. I'm going to say she's in her sixties. I'm going to say she's not particularly, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, she's not going to stop traffic. And yet they put her in, in the ad. Now, I actually thought that was kind of interesting. I was like, all right. I mean, you, you've got this whole catalog, how, you know, 60 year old women are about to be, uh, are wear bras too. Um, so that's fine. But 
she I'm sorry. She is not going to be she it, she can be authentic and that's great, but I it's not I don't know if that's beauty. So, okay. Let me step back for a second here. Um the trend over the last five to 10 years, particularly in uh, lingerie and, and catalog models to show women of various sizes, um, actually strikes me as just a utilitarian good um, because you're actually selling these clothes for different bodies. Yep. And there was a little bit of a same, same in all these. I, I, that actually like functionally, I think, is not a good idea. To actually have the same body selling clothes that are intended for a polyglot audience. Not everyone is a thirty is a thirty two A bra, and you can put her. You can put that size woman in a big giant bra that makes it look like she's got big boobies, but it's not. It's not going to work. Yeah, it's just crazy. And it's actually, you know, like there's been this whole proliferation in like different bra sizes in these like online companies that I love because I have a a bra size that is like a little bit outside the norm. Uh, You know, it's kind of like a small rib cage in a larger cup. And like I had to get specialty bras when I was younger. And and this is not that rare. Uh, my frame. It was a little bit crazy to me that that m- mainstream places just never even made these bras. And you would have to go and get them specially ordered. They were super expensive. They looked like, um, you know, like the kind of things you could parachute with, like they're huge and utilitarian. And it was just like, this is not and ugly and taupe, <laughs> ugly and taupe. And like, I would, you know, I would just wear the wrong size bras for years. Um, because if you're a teenager, you know, you don't want I don't know. I still wanted the Victoria's Secret fantasy. Like it's the, it's early nineties. Let me play along. So anyway, I, I think there's just an enormous amount of the changes that have been made in the last few years around, around bringing in different bodies that I think is, is just not only sort of representationally interesting, but also like market wise savvy. Um, yeah. Cause you're going to sell a lot more bras to people like but, me. Yeah, maybe. I don't know, though. I I think people want to see, they want to, okay, so let's say, you know, when you're looking at like a dress catalog, like I get, I go, there's a site called ASOS, A-S-O-S. Oh my God, it's got to be drop shipped because they literally have like 5,000 billion dresses. But like the girls that are modeling, like they're in cute positions where they're holding a little purse or they've got their leg out. Like they're giving you a bit of the fantasy. They're not just standing there in a dress. They're just, and some of them are larger sizes. Yes, for sure. But they're still selling it, right? You're selling, you don't sell the steak, you sell the sizzle. And so I think that, you know, magazines are in a weird place because you, they, people are like, yeah, we've, we're all down with authenticity, but they still want to see something and take that. If I'm going to spend $168 on a dress, I want to think I'm going to look hot in it. And they better show me somebody that's kind of making me think that I can attain that thing. Now let's talk about mm-hmm. the biggest, the biggest backfire of this, I'm sure there have been others, was Victoria's Secret. Okay, of course, Victoria's Secret, the the angel stuff was absurd. I mean, it was ridiculous. Oh, it was so it was, silly. It, it was. It like, was. But, but I mean, like, they had angel wings. They did a catwalk. They were wearing, first of all, I hate Victoria's Secret underwear, but in any case, it's just, it's, it's ugly and padded and it's all wrong. But 
I mean, then they got rid of them. They're like, yeah, we're going to have Megan Rapinoe from the uh, the soccer player from uh, the the Portland team, and she'll be. It's like it literally just tanked. People are like, that's well, not a lot what we of these want. fantasies. Well, a lot of these 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 companies and and magazines. I mean, they have lost the thread, and they're they're struggling to realign themselves with uh, these these new fantasies of all women being equally beautiful or all types and sizes being equally beautiful. I mean, there is a fantasy. Um, there's, I, I think there's like a social justice fantasy that wants yes. to see everyone as equally beautiful. That's just not the case. Nature, as we talked about is cruel and unfair. Um, there are people that have genetic gifts, uh, that are, that are beyond, you know, and, and, and those women will also lose those genetic gifts because aging comes for all of us. Um, which, which might be the topic of an upcoming conversation if, if, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that's right. I, I want to go back to, to genetic gifts. I have, um, sometimes thought about people that, uh, wind up having something really, really terrible happening. For instance, um, they are paralyzed in an accident or they're in a fire and then they have to, they have to become a different person in many ways. Yes, they're still the same person in some ways, but then they're also not the same person. And how do you survive? How do you, how do you make yourself not feel utterly desolate? I remember reading a a horrible story. I, it must have been more than 20 years ago about a girl. She was a, I think she was a cheerleader. She was in high school. I think her father, I, I'm, I'm going to get the details wrong, but it doesn't really matter. Um, had been a coach and she had a very bad accident while she was cheerleading. She became quadriplegic and she was 16 and she was living in her parents' living room in a very complicated bed. And she was just saying to them, just kill me just kill me because yeah. I, I'm 16. I can't do this. And obviously yeah. they were not going to do that. But let's say, hypothetically, this girl was given a chance to be on the cover of Vogue as she was, as yeah. she had been. Would we have said, no, I'm sorry. You can't, you can't do that. That's, I'm sorry. No, you have to be authentic to you. Now, of course, Linda Evangelista, she voluntarily had a cosmetic procedure. We don't know why. Maybe just, you know, a lot of people have cosmetic procedures. Um, and it went wrong, which is very unfortunate. Is it her fault? No. Did she voluntarily do this? Yes. Um, I I think she gets to do whatever she wants. And you know what? I, I have to tell you, I, I feel pretty confident in saying the people that have loved her and that have been around her for decades and have been part of her ascension and in part of literally creating what American beauty and fashion are about, I can't imagine they felt anything but but just thrilled to be able to do this um, as catty as the as catty as the fashion and beauty world can be. Um, and I and I I think that we have to allow for that too. I absolutely agree with you that social justice. Um, decides we are going to make some demands in air quotes of people. Um, but even that to me is a very aggressive posture. It's like, why don't you just try to practice being, you know, kind yourself and um, walking whatever walk you're talking and, and don't worry about what other people are doing and what other people think are, is their standard of beauty because 
that we're, we, you know, we live in America, we're allowed to think that. And um, I think that Jezebel was a very good example of people, they weren't being cruel to her, they weren't mocking her, but they were saying- No, they actually thought British Vogue had done wrong by her. Me, what do you, what do you mean? The Jezebel commenters thought that oh. British- no, the writer, the writer. I'm sorry. Yes, I interrupted yes. you. Yes, no, 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 that's fine. I'm just, I was saying the comments to the Jezebel article when they were calling her out, they were like, oh, the they yeah. were like. The comments were very negative about that piece. They were I negative. mean, that was one of the things that was interesting about it was that the the commenters were really pushing back on this idea that British Vogue had um, had maligned her. You know, yeah. it was it was really much more sort of like, hey, can we, um, if we're a feminist website that's interested in like um, what women want for themselves, uh, yeah, can you let Linda can, can we talk about like what she wanted? And then of course somebody came in and said, you know, well, that's just what's wrong with choice feminism and that's a toxic strain. And I don't know. I guess I am kind of like if I I'm kind of like a choice feminist in the sense that What does that I, mean? I don't even know what that means. Well, it means that um you support women to make their own choices. Well, yeah. And therefore choices, you know, are kind of inherently good and the and the I guess the hypocrisy of the lie or the lie of this is that a lot of this, a lot of your own choices, you know, your choices have been shaped inside of a culture that, that sexualizes your body and, and has all these sort of different forms of exploitation. I, so therefore, sorry. Does feminism, okay. feminism not, I'm oh, sorry, here we go. Here we go. Does, does that kind of feminism that the second part you're just talking about, not trust me to be able to think for myself, not no, trust you, me no. to say, oh, well, I happen to like being the way I am and I like the way the sexuality works, but I'm all wrong. I'm all wrong. I've somehow been brainwashed about all this. Fuck you. I'm completely able to make certain choices. I first of all, I've never heard of choice feminism, but rah rah for it that you're a, wow, gee, you're letting me have a choice on the menu. I don't just have to have the chicken that you decided to cook today. Wow, how big of you! Sorry, there may be a better critique of choice <laughs> feminism than the one I just made, and and I, you know, I love it when you get feisty. Um, and and if so, somebody can please put it in the comments. Um, you know, I, I think one of one of the problems with choice feminism is that you've kind of just, if you choose it, it's it's feminist, which is, I think. Uh, yeah, I, a little I, bit of a problem. I choose you know. nothing. I'm going to go to my own restaurant. Thanks. It's all I good. Know, so, I know. Yeah, I know. It's all, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, back to the Vanessa Friedman <clears throat> story. You know, uh, she concludes by <clears throat> sort of like I, I thought the Vanessa Friedman piece was good. Okay. Mm. Um, like I said, I like her. And, uh, but you know, she, she concludes with a couple of far reaching cultural critiques. You know, she's also a little bit bummed out by, by the, uh, by the fantasy that it's selling. She says, you know, this is the visual expression of the calls for the return of family values and old fashioned gender roles of the mindset that sees inclusivity as a threat rather than an opportunity and seeks comfort in the familiar out of fear of an uncertain future. The choice is between moving forward and looking back. Okay. I think this one went a little bit too far. I also think we need to like, can anybody say, like say that like, okay, she's 57 years old and she's on the cover of Vogue. That's actually kind of radical in any form. I, I really, I have to take, I wish I could have done it while you were saying that. So I could take a screenshot of myself. That quote yesterday made me bananas. It's like, oh, 
first of all, oh, those are our choices. You know, I love this world where there are two choices, always two and only two. We're going to go backward into the thing that you think we were also benighted and God forbid everything bad, bad happened there or forward into your brave new day where you are telling us what we all should be wanting. Sorry. I I wish I had the quote in front of me because I disagreed with it. I disagree with it, with it vehemently. Can you, can you read it again? Just quickly, not the whole thing, just like maybe the second part. Yes, ma'am. Please. Uh, this is part and parcel of a new kind of beauty. Uh, oh, no, sorry. That's the wrong choice. Ah, la, la, la. Um, the mindset sees inclusivity as a threat rather than an opportunity and seeks comfort in the familiar out of fear of an uncertain future. Okay. Okay. We, okay. I, if I like the way Linda Evangelista looks, as 90s as it might be or whatever, that is because... I fear inclusivity. That's a declarative sentence she just put down there. That if you like what British Vogue, Vogue did, Vogue did, it means you fear inclusivity. This is horseshit. I, I'm sorry. I would, if I were her editor, and I, I like, I like the way most of the article was written too. But I got to this point, and I was like. This is this like, okay, now we have to slam it home. We've we've been very generous and now we just, uh, okay, so I, I was ranting too much and Sarah's computer actually crashed. So uh, we're just going to, we're just going to cut that rant short. I think everybody knows my position on that. So uh, enough of that. So um, hi, Sarah. Welcome back. <laughs> Thank you so much. Hey, do you know, uh, by the way, I did cool sculpting once. You didn't. Tell I me, did? what is it like? I did. Is it like did. a, is it like a suction? Mm, it's so weird. Okay, so I did uh, a column for a magazine here called D Magazine, and it was about. It was sort of like it's meant to be kind of like an anthropological beauty column. You know, like I was supposed to be kind of historic and historical and thoughtful and cultural around like different beauty trends. Okay, it was called the Smart Blonde, and I got an offer. They, they were just starting these cool sculpting procedures. And Dallas is a little bit of a, of a hub for plastic surgery because it's sure. such a vain city. And, um, you know, so I, I got an offer to do it for free. I didn't even know what it was. I, I was like, okay, cool. Non-invasive. Yeah, why not? I'll try it. Um, and so it was just like this totally strange thing. You know, you go in for a consultation and and it was it was sort of it was sort of upsetting because, you know, you go in with the guy and and he's like, Okay, well, yeah, we're gonna do your thighs. And I was like, Oh, we are okay. I didn't I thought we were gonna have I don't know. I don't know. It's something about that, like, like that it was so obvious we were going to do my thighs. Really well, oh, gee, oh, they would do a woman's thighs? Where, who, I know. You're the only woman ever, Sarah. No, I know, I know, I know. But I, I think I wanted, I think I wanted a little more of a like, huh. Uh, I had lost a lot of weight. I was feeling really oh, good man. about my body. I wanted him to be like, oh, I don't know. Uh, yeah. But no, he was just like, all right, thighs, let's do it. And, um... <laughs> And then uh, you go in and you lay down on this table and they put like a big, uh, it looks like a big, um, it, 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 it's just like this. Um, a paddle? Paddle, basically. And it's hooked up to this big machine and then it sits on your 
your thought, like each thought had to do like each side, you know, so you turn on one side and you do it for like an hour or something like an that. An hour? And then you turn on, yeah. It, and, and then the idea is that it's supposed to freeze your cells and then, uh, was it cold? Yeah, I think so. I think it was cold, but not like, not like, your, 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 uh, thigh does go numb though. And then like all these women that were doing the procedures were coming in and telling me like, oh, it totally, you know, changed my belly and, you know, it did this and that and da, 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 da. And I got to tell you, this thing, I literally did nothing. I had, I had the two tiniest little dimples on the, on my thighs, which didn't even look good. You know, it looked like somebody had kind of like, if I were, my body were putty and somebody had just kind of like poked in the thighs, it looked totally weird. Um, but my story got placed on some cool sculpting oh, God. Uh, website, I think, for years. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I the- got emails from people asking me if I thought they should do cool sculpting. And I was like, no, and I don't care, and leave me alone. Sarah, and were there I, before and after pictures? In my own... Uh, yeah. Yeah. In my own phone. Yeah. Oh, not yeah. in that. They didn't have like, you know, no, you not in the story the itself. No, okay. because you couldn't, yeah, you couldn't really see. And plus like, am I, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Um, but so anyway, yeah, I guess, does that mean that I have had plastic surgery? Mm, I don't, uh, no, I don't think it's called, I, I would think that would just be called. Well, it's non-invasive cosmetic procedure. Call it a cosmetic procedure. It's like in that movie, well, that movie a million years ago that Billy Crystal was in, and it opens. He's like lecturing his kids' uh, grade school class, and he's like, "Yeah, in your twenties and your thirties, you do this; in your forties and in your fifties, you have an operation. You're going to call it a procedure." And da 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 da. Right. So I think you had a cosmetic procedure um, years ago. I was writing. Uh, I guess I was doing some beauty stuff for the LA Times Magazine, and I must have gotten on somebody's you know list, and I got. And I'm I when I say a, a bag, it was like a, a suitcase size bag from a new uh, like skincare company called Philosophy, which has since gone on to be oh, extremely extremely yeah, yeah, large. Yeah, yeah. But at this time, they were new. It was like it looked like a giant doctor's bag. It was actually kind of a cool bag, but I mean, it was huge. And inside were all kinds of you know lotions and creams. It was very actually sweet. It had very like kind of cute copy. But the thing I remember, which I think they still sell, is something called Hope in a Bottle. And that is what we do. Din and I, my husband, we would watch TV. Sometimes we'd watch like these um, home renovation shows. And of course, it's like middle-aged women are watching these shows. And every skincare commercial was, you know that last cream you used? It didn't work. This one works every single time. You just want hope. And that is sort of what I'm talking about when you open these magazines. Yes, it's fine to see someone that's your size or, you know, but... We also want to hope, like we always want to maybe be five pounds thinner. I used to think that sometimes when we would go to Hawaii every year, we'd go to Maui and we'd get off the plane and I'd see all these people. And I was like, how many of these people a month ago were like, I'm definitely going to lose five pounds before I go to Maui. And how many of them did? Like you don't, but that's okay because you can be aspirational to feel like a little better, a little smoother. Um, In any case, you did not have, um, you did not have plastic surgery. Okay, thank you. Because yeah. I like to brag that I've never had plastic surgery. I've never done yeah, Botox or anything like that. Um, yeah, you're reminding me, the Hawaii thing reminds me of when I was um, doing my book 
events in 2015, 2016, I was doing a lot of kind of like feminist panels and, uh, you know, at different book uh, festivals and things like that. And and it would be, you know, I don't want to name the authors, but they were as a, a group of us that would go out there and, and be on stage and kind of talk about like authenticity and accepting yourself. And then backstage would be like, where did you get that lip gloss? What, <laughs> uh, what did you do? And then somebody would be like, I have been starving myself like it's my wedding coming up. You know, like there, it was As like, we're is. just, we're human. We're yep. human. What we want to be. We live in a world that is deeply visual. And especially when you're doing something like people are taking pictures of you on Facebook and they're posting them on Instagram. You know, kids, people would come up to you and take selfies and stuff like that. And, you know, the worst feeling was like to do this event that you already felt vulnerable about. Vulnerable vulnerable about and then to go on Facebook and be like untag 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 oh this is horrible god. I can't believe I looked like that oh my god oh my god oh my god um and so you know look we're all in it and we do want hope in a jar I think it's we called hope in a jar hope in a hope in a jar hope in a jar yeah, yeah I actually thought the marketing was very was very sweet and I kept that bag for years we kept my daughter's toys in it for a long time like puzzles and kind of stuff like that um, I, th- I think open a jar should be like in a time capsule. That's just like, this is the beauty industry. Yeah. It's- so we should, I think on our next uh, episode, we're going to talk a little more. I'll talk a little more about my obsession with skincare. It's really the only thing I spend any money on is, is skincare. Skincare and books. Yeah, it's all, that's all you really like, should. Literally, that's the only things I spend money on. We're probably going to cut this episode a little short because of technical difficulties. Um, I'm not sure you if we want to get- quiet quitting very quickly. Yes, I do want to talk about quiet quitting, and then uh, we'll we'll get to uh, what we've been consuming this week. But yeah, let's talk about quiet quitting because that kind of pissed me off. Like, okay. uh, what am I not pissed off about this morning, Sarah? I know, and, yeah. I know. It's yeah. just that you know. It's so so quiet quitting what? has been everywhere these last couple of weeks. It's one of these trends that may not really be a trend, but people are talking about it a lot, and it starts with. Of course, it starts on TikTok. Um, it starts with someone talking about uh, how there's a new trend called quiet quitting, which is really a misnomer because it's not about quitting. It's about untangling your employees' identities, the employ- employees' identities from their jobs and leaving them with more time and energy to invest elsewhere. And this guy says that he's renouncing hustle culture and quitting, quote, the idea of going above and beyond at work. and. Okay, so I first learned about this in what in the Washington Post, and then there were like stories in basically every every publication had this like, what do you think about quiet quitting? And you know, the 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 comments usually came down to, oh, this is totally me. I'm doing this. I'm burned out at work. To this is stupid and not a trend, and and why are we even talking about this? To, uh the younger generation is so coddled and why do they need everything sort of like bubble wrapped for them? Um, so I, you know, so I was interested in this story because I see two different vectors going on here. Um, one of them is that I do believe that the kind of fetish for busyness and 
and constantly being on that took over our workspaces, especially in the aughts and the teens as, and I really do place this on, on phones, you know, that you were basically able to be reached wherever you were. And so suddenly you had this thing of like people working on their vacation, people returning emails during, you know, at very late nights or getting text messages really late at night. Now, I remember when this started happening, like around 2006, 2007, I just felt like I could never leave my job and I always had to be on and it was really super draining. And I remember... Um, visiting London in around, mm, I think this was like 2016. And the guy was saying to me, like, like when, when he was like, uh, the guy at the customs desk, you know, that was like punching my, my card was like, you know, you guys, you Americans have like infected our culture with this like mm. constant busyness. And, and they really saw it as this American export. We couldn't take vacations, you know, because a, a lot of other countries have like a month of vacation or like, I think in New Zealand, it yeah. seemed like they had yeah. like three months of vacation, you know, yeah. all, the, all these different things that we learn about how like Europeans do it a little bit differently than us. And we have this like Puritan work ethic that we have to be working all the time. And I think there has been a healthy awareness that your work should not be your life. And especially at a time when people are having, you know, they're, they're sacrificing having families or having kids because, you know, I can't do that because of my work. Well, your job is maybe not a good identity to wrap your whole life around. So I see that as very healthy. At the same time, I also see a younger generation that I think does have unrealistic expectations about what's demanded from a job. Jobs are jobs. And and I've seen I've heard this from so many of my friends that work with 20 somethings that they have this thing of like, uh, yeah, you know, I really don't like making phone calls or it really does make me uncomfortable to um, have my camera on during Zoom. You know, so I'm not going to do that. So, there, you know, so with that with that generation, there is something of an overcorrection that I think is is not a good idea because you have to distinguish yourself. You have to, like, you have to become great at what you do. Um, or, or maybe you have a job that's meaningless and in which case you, and maybe that's what a lot of this is, is speaking towards. So anyway, that is why I was interested in this story as it was looking at a kind of, of readjustment that we're making around work culture. So I think you're absolutely right in terms of the phone doing that, Um, you know, and there's the part of that you can get wrapped up in your identity, like, oh, I'm so busy. I have to be answering all these things. And look, you know, when you you meet people, how are you? I'm so busy. I'm so busy. It never ends. I'm like, well, you should never say it never ends because someday it is going to end and then you're not going to be happy. So you just, just, you know, and you can also control it. Right. I feel extent. like there was a bad, there was status associated with that yeah. for a little while. And I, mean, I think that was kind of not good for us. I mean, that's, the, I mean, the only people that used to have these things were like drug dealers and, and doctors, right? They had pagers, like they doctors, had to be doctors were always on call all the and time, about right? Drug right. Yeah. Um, so, so there was some that we could be now, sometimes it was fulfilling and we liked it. I happen to be freelance. So I, you know, I often have to sort of like, there isn't like a nine to five for me anywhere. I also like to be very, I'm like very fast on the email. Like if an editor has a question for me, I'm going to answer it like 
probably within a minute if I can. Um, my mother has never understood for, I've been a writer for almost 30 years. Like whenever we would go on vacation somewhere, she's like, do you have to work? I'm like, well, yeah, because I'm writing a story. Okay, that's fine. But hopefully I don't get too obnoxious about it. Um, I remember probably 10 or 12 years ago, um, there was a video, it was kind of a spoofy, funny video, like millennials, we don't really want to hire them, but we have to. And it's actually pretty funny. I'll see if I can, I can find a link to it. But the idea that they, they, it's like, there's, there's, I think another, even another thing going on here, not just like, well, I don't want my work to become my life. I want to be able to like, you know, whatever, go snowboarding, or I want to do a play, or I want to like have a side hustle that means a lot to me. You can do that if you want. However, in my experience, young people are also very much looking to their jobs to be to sort of define and provide for their lives, not just provide them with a salary and tips and health right. insurance, but they sort of want to feel like they're part of some sort of like team that matches their, you know, ideology of the moment. Um, my husband's business had this happen very, very much so uh, in terms of people kind of expecting the company to not just be a company that roasted coffee and had cafes, but had sort of like political purposes and provided like certain sorts of rewards for, for employees and also like maybe a group vacation. And maybe we were going to, it was like, it became like, well, actually we want to have the job and then we want to have life. That was, mm. it was, a. I found this to be a little different than when I was coming up. Maybe it wasn't, maybe there were yeah. people that are my age that expected that from a, a, a culture from where they worked, but when they didn't get it, I, in my experience, I think I was telling you this story um, the other day when, 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 when it wasn't going to be dad and mom providing all these things. And, and look, people should have dreams. And I, and it was definitely the case. Like there was this one girl, oh my God, she was so cool. And she was like a great artist and a great illustrator. And my husband loved her stuff. And he's like, listen, why don't you make some merchandise and I'll pay you. And he did. And it became like the coolest merchandise or like, I, I really want my band to play here. Great. Let's have your band play. Oh, I want my art to hang here. Great. Let's have it hang. And that all of that is great because all of that kind of grows the culture and the organism and it creates good glue. But then there would be things like, I want to travel in eight months in Europe with an opera company. So can you just keep my job and pay me while I do that? Because it's important for me to go do this. And it's like, well, I, I can't do that. Like, right. I, and then, then they would get mad. And then that would insert like a little bit of bitterness into the cup. And that was very strange that there was sort of these expectations besides a job and a salary and health insurance that you were entitled to. And I think a little bit of what we saw in that quiet quitting was not just I'm burnt out. I want time to myself because guys go take time for yourself. I mean, there are people that are doing that at the company where you work. Not everybody has to be accessible to the boss at all hours. I mean, that's impossible for a boss to call 3,000 people or however many people at your company. Um, but I think there's expectations that you want the company to fulfill your fantasies more than it's going to. And that creates a certain, like, why should I give my all for you? Why should I give my all for you if you're not going to give your all for me? That was what I took a little bit from the, from the piece. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, and I, you know, I remember when I was in 
my 30s and I was living in New York and one of my colleagues at the magazine where I was giving all my free time and myself to, she told me like, don't be loyal to them. They're not loyal to you. Yeah. Go home. Go home. And that was really bracing. Yeah. Because, you know... I, I think at the time I was thinking about leaving for another job and I was like, oh, I feel so bad. I feel so bad. And she was like, don't. You know, that is something that uh, employees should understand better. You know, the one thing I remember uh, when we moved to Portland um, in 2004, I was doing some restaurants reviewing and stuff. And someone was like, I can't believe I go to this restaurant and they charge $30 for a steak. I could go buy that steak for $10. I'm like, yeah. And, but you know what? They also have to pay for the rent and the electricity and the workman's comp and the beds. Like, that's what they have to charge for a stake, right? Um, employees see, like, the tip of the iceberg of what it takes to run a company. Mm-hmm. And running the company is grueling. And it is, it, like, you, you are sometimes literally drowning in debt. Um, you are having to deal with all of the things that the employee does not have to deal with. Be loyal to your company. That's great help out, make it better. But at the end of the day, your employer may make have to make decisions that suck for you. Now, mm-hmm. it could be because they're dicks. Okay, of course that's going to happen. But it just also can be like, I don't have money to pay you anymore. Like, well, what and do I you want me to do? She, right. That's you what know? she was pointing out to me. Like, there is a, there is a, there's a bloodlessness demanded by the industry and the fact that our publication was in a kind of spiraling around the toilet. I mean, her yeah. point was like, if when you are no longer useful to them, they will cut you free. Make no mistake. And it, it is nothing to do with you. It's just, I remember, and also there's also people besides like, just really not, like you at least appreciated. You were in the building. You had some understanding of what was going on. You know, Portland is a very, you know, very young, idealistic town. I mean, and some people with like unreal realistic idealism. There was a letter that we got, or my husband got a very angry letter. It may have even been a comment somewhere online. I don't remember that said, if you do not give 100% of your profits to the homeless, then you're, you're a fucking asshole. And it's like, how do you have any idea how business works? Like any at all? Like, how do you think that the world works here? It doesn't work no. by you sitting there not understanding how things work. I, the quiet quitting, again, I kind of don't think, if you want to not be the go-getter at your job, or if you just want to lay down some uh, guardrails, then do it. But you know what? There's also people that really do want to get ahead. I loved it. I think there was one quote in there. It's like, I'm just going to like tell my boss, I'm not going to do the extra work in order to get ahead. <laughs> boss would be like, fine. You know, yeah, whatever. Someone, someone yeah, else will, I mean, you know? And, and you know, and, and one of the problems with this is, you know, you want to be careful not that, that I don't think it would, but like, you know, don't, don't stigmatize people that are hustling, that want to be doing That's that. Right. Because distinguishing yourself is, I, I mean... I, one of the the joys of getting good at your work. Um, and I, you know, I noticed in a, uh, when I was doing that podcast for Texas Monthly, I was working all the time because it was taking all hours. And I was sending people emails at night and it was taking me a while to realize nobody responded. Like they were oh, really good about right. boundaries. Right, and I was starting off. to wonder, yep. like, oh gosh, 
am I ticking people off? Cause I'm sending emails during the weekend. I'm doing, you know, and all those things come to your phone. Like, well, we had to, I'm saying emails. What I mean is Slack. We were working on Slack. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I think I was off protocol by sending Slack messages at night and over the weekend and nobody would respond to them. And it took me a while to go, you know, I probably stopped doing that. Um, anyway, uh, I actually think, the reinsertion of some boundaries around our work is a healthy thing. And I, I, I will always love the hustler because, you know, yeah, I, I have to say, so I'm, I'm up here sometimes in the country and sometimes in the weekends I'll find like, I'll be up here with friends and we literally won't look at our phone for hours. Just won't, we'll go do things. I, and I like, I go to bed. I haven't looked at my phone for five hours. That's great. I will also say the hustle. Uh, so you know how Google, um, I don't know if anybody that, you know, you have an iPhone, you, you, you had a Google and it'll show you, or make guess it's my iPhone will show you like a little album that it's created for you, just for oh, yeah. you. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, I got yeah, one yeah. the other day and I, I make a lot of videos because I post videos for work or just, you know, in general on, on, on Twitter. And it was literally me this year saying, hey, hey, I'm in San Francisco or hey, I'm here with Thomas and Chaniston Williams in Portland. Oh, hey, I'm here in Ukraine. Um, hi, I'm here in Tulsa. This whole year has been a big travel work year for me. And often it has just literally been desire. It has nothing to do that with, I have an assignment. I want to go and I want to do the reporting. And every single time it has turned into assignments, it has turned into paying assignments because the hustle, like you do it for love and then the money follows. So, oh, there's nothing better. There's nothing yeah, better than, you know, yeah. you, you I do mean, there are better have, things. I'm going to say, yeah, actually, I mean, there's, I pret- there's some better pretzels things, are really, really yeah, much sex. better. Okay. Really good sex. Really hey, good sex. Hey, um, speaking what? of that, I just turned into what I have that. a question for you. A real yes. important question for you. Yeah. 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 What is in your hot box? <gasps> My very, very hot box. Well, Ooh. actually, I have something kind of sexy, and I'm glad to report that it was sexy. So last night, for the hell of it. Oh, my it, God. Where is this going? Last night, by myself, <laughs> in the dark, <laughs> I watched House of the Dragon, which is the- uh, The game prequel game to Game prequel. of Thrones. I wish I'd known this. So, well, I decided it last oh, night gosh, around nine no. o'clock. I took a bath and I was like, what am I going to do in bed? <sighs> I think I'll watch House of the Dragon. So anyway, I did watch Game of Thrones and I did like Game of Thrones. Um, I loved Game of Thrones, by and, the way. I just want that on the record. Yeah, I, I, I did like it very Except much. Except that I, I briefly stopped watching it when they killed Jon Snow, but then I came back. Okay, I know. Go. It's like I refused, right? Anyway, I, I did read. So our, our friend Kat Rosenfield, who's one of, I, you want to talk about a hustler. This girl is hustling oh, hustler. journalism, kid. Um, she wrote a piece last week uh, or a week and a half ago for, I think it was for Unheard. Um, we'll put a link in the show notes uh, about how, you know what, they best not try to clean up all the sex and, and violence in Game of Thrones, you know, to make it more, again, like to make it more, I don't know, acceptable for inclusivity or whatever. Well, I'm here to report they have not cleaned up the sex and the violence in Game of Thrones. There was plenty of titty and butt and fucking and and castration and and amputation and you know the mean characters that might not be mean but i do have something i am curious about your take here and maybe we also our listeners so i have this kind of squeamy thing where i 
don't like to see um, guys, unless I'm like being intimate with them or we're at the beach or playing, they're playing basketball. I don't like them to see them with their shirts off. I just, I just, I I mean, the idea of like looking at naked guys is like, there's no way, there's no way. Anyway, there's this scene in a, um, in a brothel and like, it's a big scene and there's like tons of people like having sex. And then they do a, a, they back off so they can close in on this one character because their camera's on him. But the background are people like having sex. And there was a tall, completely naked man. You couldn't see his, his junk, but like just having to stand there naked. I was so mortified for him that he, uh, Seeing a man completely without clothes on strikes me as so wrong, not just because really? I'm squeamy about it, but because he looks so unable, unable to defend himself. He's just like, this is wrong. I felt so bad for this actor. I was like, oh my God, he has to stand there naked while the camera is on. Then I was like, Nancy, I think this is a Nancy problem. Like, what do you, yeah. what do you think? <laughs> About this. I mean, I, I'm I'm now have to think about it a little bit more, and and I think this might be a Nancy problem. I will say I don't have any kind of like, oh yeah, they're taking their shirts off, hot. Like even like like in Maverick when they're playing shirtless on the. I like the, that scene. And come on, Brad well, Pitt, Brad Pitt in in uh, uh, the Quentin Tarantino. Oh, Thelma. Oh, no, I, no. yeah, I was thinking Thel- I was thinking old school Thelma and Louise or you're you're talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, we're going to we're going to where do we clip that scene? Yep. We're going to put that scene on. I the don't show notes. have uh, any kind of like. Oh, yeah. Or like, yeah, <laughs> equal equal objectification. I, I, I don't know. None of that. Like I, none of it really. It doesn't. It does, doesn't like what you're it walking. Like, it, it's not a thing for me. It's just not. A, it's just not a thing for me. If you're walking um, down the street and a guy's walking toward you without a shirt on, you don't. You're like totally fine with it. I might notice it, but you know, I just I don't have a thing for this like chiseled body. Uh, oh no, abs no, 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 thing. No. No, me neither. Like I've I mean, dated some I guys like that, it, and it's but... interesting. And I, you know, it's interesting because that it feels different. You're like, wow, this is really like, it feels okay. like a, you feel like a <laughs> what's happening statue here? or something. Like I always, you know, I'm always kind of like, like the texture is very different. Uh, but no, I I don't have like okay. a thing for that. So um, yeah, I don't know. But okay. I am glad to hear that it's still. I liked it. Uh, I, I, I'm giving sexy, it a, yep. and and I yep. really because I really always loved that. It, it it's it's decadent, but I mean, it had this really interesting mix of you know sex and violence and really strong character study, which I thought was just such an unbeatable combination. I'm not, I'm not sure, and I, I could be wrong, and I'm just kind of misremembering, but I don't think the dragons look as good in this one as they did in the old one, but I I, I don't know. So we'll, we'll see. Interesting. All right. So Sarah, m'lady. Yes, ma'am. What's in your hot box? I watched a documentary last night or like a, 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 a show inside of a documentary a series called The Dark Side of Comedy, and mm. uh, it's by Vice. It's on oh, Hulu. Okay. And uh, this was about Andrew Dice Clay. Oh, and man. The reason I watched it is because I can't tell you over the... If you don't know who Andrew Dice Clay is, 
dear lucky. Uh, but <laughs> he he was a big sensation in the late 80s uh, with this kind of over the top swaggering Brooklyn tough um, who would make really like homophobic and ugly jokes about women and I thought they're dumb okay like I think these jokes are just dumb regardless of whether or not I think that he is uh offensive or whatever I just I don't get it and so this was a little bit of like revit like I was drawn to it because I was revisiting a was like what was that all about and, you know, I think he's interesting in that he's one of you. You could see him as an early deep platforming. Because, was he deplatformed? Deep well, the story on him is that, um, you know, he rose to this rock star arena status where he was one of the first comedians to sell out Madison Square Garden two days in a row. And, you know, it's really wild to watch <sighs> these, you know, these these scenes of of you know, guys in the audience like pumping their fist and like, you know, some of the punchlines on these jokes are like, if you don't speak the language, get out of the country. And I'm like, I am so deeply uncomfortable with this. So, um, so anyway, he gets a three movie deal with, uh, with a, with a movie company. And the first one is going to be this movie, uh, The Adventures of Ford Fairlane. And around that time, he gets uh, booked on Saturday Night Live. And Nora Dunn decides to boycott, as well as Sinead O'Connor. And even though he's on there, um, this gets a lot of press that, you know, people on the show are boycotting. And it starts to give... Um, executives cold feet. And one of the things that the gay community, the gay activists did was that they actually took, they took aim at the owners of the company. So there were, uh, there were a lot of posters that were like David Geffen, who was uh, running, I can't remember a music company now. And uh, Barry Diller, who was running Fox, you know, you know, basically they're, they're both gay men. And it was, you know, why are you self-hating gay men enabling this kind of homophobia? And so he start like, and they basically, they, they decide to just quietly put out Ford Fairlane, no press, no nothing. And the next two movies, they just buy him out. They're like, we don't want anything to do with him. And so he kind of got 86th um, from the entertainment community. And it's, it's one of these really interesting, he you know, definitely riches to rags story within like the space of a year. So that by the mid nineties, you're like, where is this guy? He did get now, kind he, of memory hold. I mean, he like got he got memory hold. He disappeared. Now he's making a little bit of a comeback in this. If you saw uh, the movie, a star is born. He, he stars as uh, lady Gaga's father. He's great actually. Oh, I, I should remember that, but I don't. That movie, you know, I liked that movie. Thought I, I watched it on a plane. I, I had no interest in like going to theater or even watching it at home, but it was on a plane. I was like, I actually quite liked it. I think I remember yeah, I totally liked that movie. Yeah, I totally liked that yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, God, I didn't remember that. Well, that's good. I mean, you know, nobody deserves to have, to be exiled, you know, to stick them on an ice flow because, you know, you don't like what they do. Uh, you know, I think... With those stories, I'm always more interested in like, what is it that he's tapping into in 89 and 90? And I mean, you have to remember there was the AIDS crisis of the 80s. There were um, a lot of moves 
around women in the workplace, you know, getting a little bit more power. There is some sort of anxiety, cultural anxiety that he's tapping into this kind of like id like yop, you know, the masculine yop that he he represents. What's yop? yop? I don't know. I think it's it's a phrase. I think I'm using it from I think it's from Dead Poets Society, actually. Y-O-P? W-A-Y. No, Y-A-W-P. Huh. I don't know. Don't. Okay. Whatever. It's, it's just, a, it, was a, it was a placeholder yeah, we're, word. We're, we're, yeah. not, we're not. I, I think it might be Whitman, but yeah. which All is right. not. I mean, you know, like, like uh, I don't think Andrew Dice Clay was sort of like channeling Whitman, but, um, but I was thinking about it in terms of just like a, like a, like a roar. That's what I meant. Well, so um, it's a six part. It's a, it's just a one-off or it's a series. And so that is a part of a series that is being done on the dark side okay. of Hollywood. I mean, I'm sorry, the dark right. side of comedy, which okay. is always interesting to me. There is another episode about Chris Farley that I have not seen. Oh, um, yes. Actually, we linked that on PalomaMedia.com, which you guys should go um, check out because it looks really pretty these days. We, we redid it and I, it's going to be two kind of good pieces up there today. Um, that I want to watch. I we, I put a link, but I only watched the beginning of it. Uh, I I actually really want to watch. Oh, I'm going to watch it now. I got something to watch. Got something to watch besides uh besides um therapy dragons or whatever it's called. So therapy dragons. There be dragons, not therapy. Oh, there be dragons. Therapy dragons. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's very called House of Dragons. That's yeah, very mm-hmm. niche uh, sort of thing. All right. Well, we are. Uh, I think we're we're going to end this little uh, episode, guys. Everybody, thank you so much for joining us as usual. Please subscribe. Please tell your friends. Uh, hit us up in the comments and uh, go uh, go look at the. We're going to have a, a weekly open thread every Wednesday, so that one posted today. So head over there, and then I think we're going to be a. Uh, Maybe recording a special episode for you guys tomorrow. What do you think, Sarah Hepler? Bada boom, bada bing. Okay. All right. See you guys later. Bye. Bye. Understand the fun. Fashion, stay away. I'll just the forecast. It's your man.